Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads Community Church, our vision is to awaken the city of Pittsburgh and surrounding areas by creating cool places to experience God in local neighborhoods throughout Pittsburgh and beyond. Now here is this week's message. While you're getting seated, uh, a couple of things just to share really quickly on the prayer front-wise. Uh, I was just informed that some of you know, uh, some of you may not know, is a lady named Joyce Schmidt. Her is a great-granddaughter. Great-granddaughter, newborn, is in the hospital. Uh, so keep, keep, is it male, female, baby? It's a girl. All right, so definitely uh, keep her in prayer and... Um, Continue praying for her. And uh, let me ask you to do this as we get started. We are kicking off a new series, and to kind of get you in a frame of mind of what we're talking about, uh, let me ask you to do this. I want you to think of the craziest thing that you have ever done, um, hopefully legal, but uh, craziest thing that you have ever done, that you have ever engaged in. Just bring that to mind. Uh, think about it. Recall on it, and some of you have probably done some really crazy stuff, not calling out any names, but um, some of it's probably scary stuff too. But just think about that, all right? So um, now let me ask this. How many people have actually, you know, willing to admit, yes, I've done some crazy stuff? Okay, wow. Okay. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, my hand was up too. Uh, and so all you guys that raise your hand, how many people raise your hand again? A lot? A lot? Okay. All right. So starting right up here, start with what was your, no, I'm not going to ask you to admit it. <laughs> not, not going to ask, not going to ask anyone to, to share it. And depending on how crazy it was, we could probably find it on YouTube anyway. But, um, now that you have in mind, like the, some, I was going to say the craziest, but some of us have probably done multiple crazy things, one of the craziest things you've ever done, uh, think about not just that thing that you did, but think about the reaction of other people around you when they found out that you did it. And some of them probably looked at you like, wow, you were crazy, all right, when they found out. Some of them, uh, they might have been a little bit scared that you did that, like scared for them and scared of you. Uh, because they thought you were crazy. Uh, some of them may have been, maybe, I don't know what you did, depending on what you did, maybe some people felt hurt by whatever that crazy thing is that you did. But they likely had a reaction that you didn't expect because, you know, they probably did not think that you were capable of such a crazy thing. I was listening to a, uh, a podcast, and there was a preacher, and he was talking about uh, a husband who um, his marriage was not going well, you know, and it hadn't been going well for a long time. So the husband went on his own to go see a counselor. And the counselor gave him a lot of advice saying, here's some of the things that you can do that will begin the process of helping your marriage get better. And the husband, you know, had this, this, this he worked long hours, so he was gone before the sun came up, didn't come home till after. And uh, he would always, when he came home, because he worked in a factory and he was all sweaty and smelly, he would always come in the back door, go upstairs, shower and change, and then go down to his basement and tinker with stuff and work on stuff until everybody was in bed and then go to bed. And so um, after a couple of days of, t- of, of 
talking to the counselor. He came back, and after a week or two, he's like, you know what, maybe I should try some of this stuff. So he, he uh, came home from work like normal, but instead of going to the back door and going upstairs and changing clothes because he was all sweaty, and he went to a friend's house, changed clothes, put on a nice suit, went out and got a bottle of champagne, a bouquet of flowers, and came to the front door of the house, and he knocked, knock, 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 honey, knock, 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 honey, knock, 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 honey, for the few of you that get that, and he knocked, and then uh, she opened the door, and he was standing there, and he said, honey, I just want you to know how much I love you and how much you mean to me, and her knees went weak, and she like crumpled to the floor, and she was crying in tears. And he was like, oh, my gosh, honey, what's wrong? Are you okay? And she said, it's just been a crazy day. All three of the kids have a stomach virus, so they all threw up. The washing machine broke, so it threw up all the clothes. The dishwasher broke, so it spit out a bunch of water. And the dryer caught on fire. And now you come home drunk. Her, her reaction to his... What he thought was a good thing was that you are absolutely, positively crazy. And, and depending on what that thing is that you did, people, again, probably looked at you like, you must be drunk. You must be out of your mind. And actually, uh, that is what some people used to think, some of them still do, about us, this worship community. They, they think that we are, like, drunk. They think that we are, uh, like, anti-God and anti-church, uh, just, just because when, you know, when we got here and we put drums up on stage, it's not something you do in a traditional church, so a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, you guys are blaspheming, you're not honoring the sanctuary, and then because we have coffee and food in the back, people said you guys are just, you know, you're, you're, you're not really Christians, even though if you look throughout the Bible, every time they gathered, food and fellowship from Genesis to Revelation. And then they looked at me and said, you know, because you're not in a robe or in a shirt and tie and preaching, that you're not honoring, you know, God or the Bible. But if you think about it, when Jesus went out and preached, he didn't go into the synagogue and then leave the synagogue and go home, change clothes, and then go out. Whatever he preached in is what he wore every day. Whatever he wore every day, that's what he preached in. And he was bridging the gap between This synagogue, this house of worship is one place, and then you do something totally different when you leave. But that's the picture that people had of this church. Some of them still do, probably. Uh, It's also the picture that people had of the early church. Uh, They thought um, that in Jesus' day, they had a preset understanding of who God was and how you interacted with him. And when Jesus came along... And started doing all of this stuff that uh, they weren't used to. They said he was crazy. Because he came along and he started talking about how uh, he, as a man, had the power to heal people from God. And they were like, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. He started doing things like instead of just keeping the messages or the topics, the discussions about God in the synagogue. He started taking them out into the street and preaching on hilltops and street corners. And people said that you're, you're, you're ridiculous. You're upsetting the normalcy of things. And then he started talking about the fact that um, God forgives us and that he, as God, had the power to forgive us. 
And that's it. They said he was crazy. And he was hanging out with, worst of all, sinners. He was taking the message of God to the people that needed to hear about God. And they literally crucified him for that. His family, if you read in the, uh, in, in the Gospels, his family actually said, you are out of your mind. You had a psychotic break. They were ready to call Dr. Phil on him. They just thought he, was, he had lost it. But yet, this is what he represented as this is the gospel. And not only that, he was willing to and did go to the cross and die to represent what he was telling them. So he wasn't just saying, hey, this is what you should do. Uh, he was telling them, this is what God can do in your life. Now, here's, here's the interesting thing. If you look throughout the scriptures over and over and over again, even though they thought he was crazy, Jesus kept saying that I am going to be the sacrifice and die for you so that your sins could be forgiven. And no one understood him. He said, uh, if you destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. They didn't understand. He said, I am going away to the Father, and uh, now you see me, soon you will see me no more. They didn't understand. Over and over and over throughout the scriptures, he was telling them, hey, I am going to die as the living sacrifice for your sins. And no one, no one, not the disciples, not the Pharisees, no one, not even his family, understood it. Now, do you know why they didn't understand it? It's not because he wasn't being clear. It's because not a single person, not his family, not the disciples, not the Pharisees, None of them thought that they were worth dying for. Not a single one of them. He told them clearly. He said it again and again and again. I am going to be the living sacrifice for you. But it didn't make sense to them. They thought he was crazy because why would you die for me? That doesn't make sense. That can't be what you're talking about because I'm not worth that. And this is the same thing that people inside the church and outside the church think today. When you go and you, and you talk to people, and we were talking about you know, evangelism and being able to um, share the good news, the gospel with people in our circles of influence, our homes and our schools, and really tell them that, hey, you know what? God really cares about you and God loves you. They look at you like you're crazy. They're like, why would God love me? Well, God died for you. Why would God, God die for me? And part of it is because of the way we look at ourselves, but part of it is because of the way that other people look at us. And other people tell us that we're not worth anything. And so then when we hear someone tell us, from God's view, you are worth everything, we say, no, that can't be true. This is how Paul put it. Don't open your Bibles. I'm going to put it up here. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, uh, and now... He was writing to the church in Rome, which literally, if he were doing that today, would be D.C. It's the seat of governmental power, the world's uh, biggest and strongest government at that time. And he was writing to a church there surrounded by the leaders and the political people and all of those things. And he wrote to them and he said, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, he says that Christ died 
for the ungodly. And he's talking about from God's perspective, everyone was ungodly. Everyone was not righteous in God's sight. And yet Christ died for all of them. Then he goes on and he says, but very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man. And that's a righteous man in God's sight. Though for a good man, so am I possibly dare to die. Basically, he's saying, you know what? Very rarely, uh, if you have a person who is righteous in God's sight, in man's sight, they're not worth dying for. But if you have a person that is good in man's sight, meaning someone who does good things and a community leader or, or a benevolent person from man's perspective, then someone we mourn, and I'm not trying to, I, I know I'm going to take a hit for this, but uh, Whitney Houston passed away. You guys heard that, right? And all of these people just, I mean, they wanted to fly the flag at half mass and they, and they mourned and they did all of that stuff, which is great. It's a loss and, and you know, prayers are with her family because they're struggling with that. But... From God's sight, she is no more important than any other person in the history of time that has passed away. But in God's sight, she is important enough that Christ died for her. He died for her too. And I have no idea whether she is with him now. That's between her and the Lord. But he looked at her. Man looks at someone and says, wow, look at how important this person is and all they've done and all they've accomplished. And we say they're a good person. And yeah, someone might die for a good person. But a person who is righteous in God's sight, maybe they're not doing anything in man's sight. We say, ah, we don't even acknowledge their passing. But here's the thing uh, he says. He says that Christ died for us. He says we were ungodly. We're the sinners. He says we were powerless. And we are unrighteous. But he doesn't say we are worthless. Because in God's eyes, we were worth everything to him. He looked at each, every one of us and he said that we are, we are worth dying for. Now, here's the deal. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to walk through um, looking at how God sees us from his perspective. And the most powerful uh, theological, um, you guys know that Lent is coming up, right? And Lent is this time where everyone starts to uh, look back. It starts on Ash Wednesday, 22nd, and goes for 40 days right up until uh, Easter. And it's typically tied to the 40 days that Jesus spent fasting uh, before the start of his ministry. But it's not a biblical thing that Jesus or the Bible tells us to do. It's something that the church said, hey, we need to do in order to get our hearts and our minds focused around what Jesus did for us. And uh, usually, here's what, during Lent, it starts with a period of um, prayer, praying at special times and more intense prayer during the day and uh, getting people connected to speaking to and hearing from uh, God. Uh, It also includes a time of giving, Not just people giving more money, but maybe people giving their time and their efforts and their services uh, in honor of Jesus giving his life for us. Uh, And then it also includes a time of fasting. Now, typically, I don't know about you guys, but people, there's there's the, you know, you fast for meat thing. Any of you guys do that? You don't have to raise your hand if you do, but you've heard of that. Um, You fast from, you know, whatever. Uh, Today, there's a whole different 
type of fasting. Some people fast from Facebook and Twitter. They fast from soda. They fast from swearing. But then, of course, after Lent, we can go back to that. Yay. But um, I'm not encouraging you to do that. They fast from alcohol. They fast from chocolate and and all these kind of things. So depending upon what God uh, is telling some people to, hey, you need to step back from. And I heard one pastor say, he said, if you can't go 30 days without doing something, then you might have an addiction problem that maybe you need to look at. So um, speaking of which, we went to the, because uh, I was thinking maybe, you know, when I, when I was putting this together, I was like, oh, I could probably fast from Facebook or from Twitter. But we went to, <laughs> you're shaking your head now. <laughs> well, we went to uh, the denominational dinner last night and um, I actually got in trouble because I was tweeting during the dinner and, like, one of the denominational leaders came by, and he looked, and he was like, oh, I thought you were playing a game. And Valerie was like, stop that. But whatever God is speaking to you that you need to, to fast from to do that. But then there's also this overall Lent preparation, and it's the matter of preparing our hearts and preparing our minds and kind of focusing on uh, God and getting these things out of the way that are preventing us from continuing to um, go down the path that God has for us. Now, the preparation usually includes repentance and penance. Penance has to do with acknowledging our sins. Repentance has to do with turning away from them. Both of those are designed to get our minds and our hearts set on the fact that God has given us forgiveness. That he looked at us and said, hey, all your sins, all of those things, um, yes, some things you're, you're going to have to deal with the consequences for, the penance for. Some things you definitely need to turn away from and do no longer. All of those are to get our hearts and our minds wrapped around the fact that God has given us forgiveness. Now, uh, we're going to walk through some scripture, and we're going to walk through uh, all of these scriptures. Usually, if you go to a service on, on a, like a Good Friday, you'll hear someone talk about uh, the, the seven last phrases that Jesus Christ said on the cross. And usually, they'll devote a few minutes or a full service to covering all seven. We're going to devote seven weeks to covering all seven because in each of those things, God reveals some spiritual truth, uh, some realities that we can deal with, as well as some great theological insight about how he views us. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Luke, chapter 23. And in Luke chapter 23, this is... uh, Again, when Jesus Christ is on the cross, it's, it's, it's the crucifixion. It is the time where Jesus is actually paying, going through the process of paying the penalty for our sins. Uh, he is becoming and being uh, the sacrifice for us. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 32, this is what Luke tells us. Now, he's already on the cross. And he, verse 32, he says, tells us two other men both criminals were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was written a notice above him 
which read, this is the king of the Jews. Now, theologically, there's so much going on there. Uh, we probably uh, couldn't capture it all. But, but here's the picture that used to and still comes to my mind when I think about what's going on there. It's this picture of children rebelling against their parents. It's the picture of, of, of like, you know, the parent who, who, who has had full authority and, and, and maybe he's been strict in asking their children to obey. And so the children rise up. You guys ever see, and I shouldn't mention this in church, forgive me. You ever see the movie Children of the Corn? Good, don't, don't Google that. But uh, it's where these children, like, rise up and they're like these evil kids and they take over the town and do all this weird stuff. And, and that's the picture I get of this. Here is the representation of the father, full authority. And the children are like, yay, down with him. We're done with him. And if you think about it today, um, again, I know I'm going to take a hit for this, but again, if you think about it today, we have raised generations of children that have no understanding of obedience and authority. No disrespect if you're teens here in the room, but your parents do. Okay, all right. So uh, seriously, we have, we have children who they don't understand that they are in, uh, under the authority of their parents. We have children that, uh, and you guys, I don't know if you guys have seen this, that, that will talk back to their parents in vile and nasty ways. And here's, here's the thing. Now, again, I'm not condoning spanking your children, but my mom would never ever until the day she died. I was a grown man serving in the military, cussing like a soldier, talked to her like she was above a four-star general. Would never disrespect my mom. And if I did, didn't I, and I can remember, and I don't remember what it was for one time, I was in the military, I was an adult, I said something really flippant disrespectful, and it wasn't even a curse word, and I don't know how we got there, but somehow I remember her trying to put me over her knee, and I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I was like, I carry weapons in the military, and you're trying to put me over my name. She's like, you don't talk to me like that. And I apologize. I was like, you're right, you're right. And it wasn't a curse. I don't remember what I said, but it was something that apparently set her off. But um, here's the thing. I've, and, and you guys have seen this where parent, kids will talk back to their parents, and they don't respect their authority. And I can remember, you know, I don't know if they still do this on TV and all that stuff. They used to make fun of kids that would be like, I'm going to call the cops on my parents because you're abusing me and you're this, that, and the other. And in my day when I was growing up, if you called the cop, if I had called the cops on my mom, she would have whooped me, not spanked, whooped me in front of the cops and then dared them to intervene. Now, here's the reality, though. In my day, the cops would not have intervened. They would have been like, because if you don't get to him now, he's going to be our problem later. And again, I'm not encouraging you to spank your kids. I'm just talking about teaching kids that they are under authority. And here's the thing. When we don't teach them that at home, then they go into school. They don't acknowledge the authority of the teachers and the school uh, principals and the leaders there. And they talk back to them and they disrespect them because they don't acknowledge their authority. And then they go through school not doing that. And then when they get to college, they don't acknowledge the authority of their professors. They just go off and do whatever. Then when they get a job, they don't acknowledge that they are under the authority of their employers. So they show up when they want. They leave when they want. They don't do good jobs. Then they get mad when they get fired 
and then they go speeding off, and then they get stopped by a cop, and since they've never been taught to acknowledge that they're under someone's authority, they don't acknowledge the cop's authority, so then they mouth off to the cop, and then you got to go pick your kid up out of jail, because he got thrown in jail for being disrespectful to the cop, or worse, depending on where you are, he ends up on YouTube getting beat down by the cops, because they were never taught to acknowledge authority. And again, it's not about beating them. It's not about whatever. It's about communicating to them that you are in my home, so you are under my authority. When you are in school, you're under the authority of the teachers. When you are wherever, you're under someone's authority. So this is, this is what happens. The people there are mocking Jesus. They're making fun of him. They're like, hey, if you claim to be the Christ. Now, it's one thing, and I've had a discussion with someone uh, online, we, this chat room where we go back and forth, and we've been talking about theological things. And it's one thing if he had never done anything to show his authority. It's one thing if he hadn't healed blind people, leprous people, sick people, people that couldn't walk suddenly walking. It's one thing if he hadn't walked on water, if he had to swim out to the boat and just happened to do a really great backstroke, that's different. But if he hadn't walked on water, it's one thing if he hadn't talked to a storm and made the storm cease. It'd be one thing if he hadn't brought not one, not two, but three different people back from the dead, three people clinically no longer with life, and at his command, they came back to life. Now, if he hadn't done any of that, I could understand questioning his authority. But he had already done all of that. And yet they still mocked him, and they still jeered him, and they still made fun of him. Now, here's the important thing. These are people who are standing around, just like kids who have gone wild and, you know, just rebelling against the parents. Forget you. You can't tell me what to do. You're blah, you're blah, you're blah. And this is his response to them. His response is then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Think about this and let this sink into your mind for just a minute. As they are rebelling against him, as they are jeering and mocking and making fun of him. Now, this is God. This is not the teacher. This is not the parent. This is not the cop. This is God. As they are jeering and making fun of him, he looks at them as he's in the process of being a sacrifice for them. And his response to them mocking him is still to forgive them. That's huge. That's what he not just enables us to do and wants us to do, but that is what he empowers us to do. Because there are some of us, uh, myself included, that have people in our lives that say negative things about us, that they mock us, that they jeer us, that they have continually, they don't look at us the way God does and say that you are worth dying for. They look at us and say, you are nothing. You never will be anything. You won't amount to anything. And I don't know about you, I've had people in my life that, that uh, have looked at me and have ridiculed me and have questioned paths that I've chosen to take in my life and that have not supported me. And at some junctions in my life, it has stopped me from moving forward because I felt like, how can I move forward 
when these people who are supposed to be supporting me and encouraging me are kind of holding me down. But here's the reality. If we are going to be Christ followers, which means we are going to be Christ-like, which means that he has given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do so, then we need to do what he did, which is to look at them and say, Father, forgive them. And I don't know about you, but over the last, I'll just say couple of months, there's been people in my life that, you know, I'm like, I get every time the phone rings and I see it's them, I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to interact with them because I know they're not going to have anything positive to say. And I've had to come to grips that, you know what, I don't mind talking to you. I don't mind, you know, hearing your negativity. Because all I can do is ask God to forgive you and then keep going down the path that God has called for me to go down. So I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, we're not going to uh, sing. We're not going to worship. But I want to create some space for us. To do what Christ did. I want to create some space for us to just, um, um, just like earlier when you were thinking of that crazy thing that you did, uh, right now just take a moment and think of those people in your life that maybe they didn't support you. Maybe they didn't encourage you. Maybe they weren't there for you. Maybe they're the people that even today when you talk to them and, uh, um, you know, they just don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, but instead of saying, I don't understand, they just say negative uh, things to you. And maybe if you were like I was, you're, it, it, it holds you back and you're like, it, it brings you down. You get depressed. And there have been times when I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like crying because these are supposed to be my family members. These are supposed to be the people that say, you know what, I don't understand you, but if this is what you want, um, you know, you're not doing anything illegal or crazy or trying to overthrow the government, you're just trying to be who you think God created you to be, great. I'll support you and I'll pray for you. But instead, they just kept knocking me down. So if that is you, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone to bow their head for a moment. And if you are in that place, and I don't I don't know who is, I don't know who isn't, but if you were in that place, then think of those people, those distractors or disappointers or whatever you want to call them that look at you negatively or instead of encouraging you, they discourage you. Think of those people. And then if that is you, then as you think of them, see Jesus as we just read on the cross see him preparing himself to give his life for you because he doesn't see you as they see you. He sees you as worth dying for. And as your mind is recalling those people who may not see you like he does, who see you in a negative light, in your heart and in your mind, in your heart and in your mind, say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Say that as often as you need to. Not so that you're admitting that they're right. Not so that this is going to reconcile the relationship. But so that 
does not stop you from moving down the path that God has for you. If God looked at you and said that you are important enough and you matter enough to him that you are worth dying for, then we should not. We dare not let anyone stop us from being all that he has created, equipped us, and died for us to be. God, we pray for every person in this building right now that that has that over their heads. The distractors, the people that maybe have let us down, the people that maybe don't see the path that you have us on and have taken up the role of, of, of discouraging us and speaking negatively into our lives, God. God, we don't hate them. We don't want to hold on to anger about them. We want, through the power and anointing of your Holy Spirit, to look at them the way that you look at us, that they also are worth dying for. And God, we pray, we pray, we pray that you would forgive them in the same way that you have extended that forgiveness to us. God, we pray that as we walk out of here, we don't walk out of here still under that umbrella. We, we release all of that baggage that we let it go. We acknowledge your sacrifice, your death on the cross because you looked at us and you, in your eyes, in your sight, see that we're worth dying for. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're here, and I mean this, if you're here and you're still struggling with that, um, talk to someone. God didn't die so that you would sit behind a roadblock of discouragement. He died and gave you his spirit so that you can overcome anything, maybe not in your own strength, but through his power, the power of his Holy Spirit, and through the most powerful force in the universe today, the church the body of believers banded together. That's why we're a community of people. That's why we call ourselves a a church family, a worship community. So uh, maybe you don't want to grab them. Maybe you do. Maybe you want to grab someone and stop somewhere and spend some time in prayer. Maybe you want to call them and say, hey, you know what? That really spoke to me. I want to spend some time with you because I need you to help me pray through this. Now, here's just, just one final note. If there, and this is just me, so don't don't hate me for this either. If there are women in the room who feel like that, some of them might make the phone call. They might turn to another female and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I want to talk to you about this, or can you pray with me about this? Guys in the room will take it to our grave. We won't reach out to another guy and say, hey, I need some help in this area. We will go down fighting and struggling, holding on to it because, you know, for some reason we have it in us that we reach out, it shows we're vulnerable. Here's the truth. We're vulnerable. And God didn't put us here so that we could show how good we are and how strong we are when we stand alone. He put us here so we could be a model, his representation to the world. And guys, let me tell you this. Christ didn't stand alone. He stood with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to stand alone. So if maybe when you get home, you know, 
go in the bathroom, close the door, send a quiet text so the wife doesn't see, whatever you got to do to someone to say, hey, let's get together for coffee because I probably need some help in this area too. Then do that. But don't go down this road alone. All right? Let me close this out with prayer. God, we just pray your blessing on us. We pray that we would be the people that you have created us to be. First and foremost, that's people that you looked at and were willing to die for. And most importantly, it's people that are not alone. We praise you that you created the church, the plurality of believers bonded together, not just on Sunday morning, but for life through eternity, brothers and sisters in Christ. God, I pray that for every person that has spoken negatively into our lives, that we have literally dozens of people in our worship community that will speak positively into our life. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. Pray that everyone, everyone takes this to heart. Don't want to leave us on a, 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 a sad note. The encouraging note is, again, we are not alone. So pray about it. Uh, reach out to someone and just... Have a blessed, blessed weekend and a blessed week. See you guys next week.